One of the toughest things people face when launching a business is finding customers. How do you reach out into the world and find the people that are going to buy your product, buy your service, give you money for doing what you want? How do you find those people? Well, it's marketing and it's this mythical dark art of marketing that no one really understands. Sometimes it works and you get customers, sometimes it doesn't. Well, today's episode is about unraveling the mysteries of marketing. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. And today, to help me unravel the mysteries of marketing, I have with me lead presenter, legend, KC. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Alan Donegan. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's always my favorite time when you're back. No idea what we're going to talk about, but I can't wait. <laughs> Ask me anything. Ask you anything. So, okay, let's start there. I'm a brand new business. I want to get more clients. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. I've got a product. I've got a service. I've got an idea. I want to put it out there. How do I get clients? Where do I even start with this? Oh, easy start there, Alan. Thanks for that one. Um, (laughs) How do you start? (laughs) The first thing, uh, really, seriously, the first thing has to be, I say to people who've got a business idea and who's sat at home right now going, I need a, or who's got their head in their hands at this moment going, oh, I wish there was a someone I could phone to help me with it. Who are those people? Where are they and who are they? Imagine, make them up in your head, first of all. Who do you think they could be? To me, that's the first thing. Who needs what you've got right now? Who's Googling right now? Who's got an auntie's birthday? Who needs to fix that leaking tap? Who are they? Who is as sick of working as a teacher and wants to change? Who needs a new front gate? Who needs some fish on a Wednesday night? Who are those people? It doesn't matter what your business is, who needs it right now. That's where I would start. And then you kind of make it up. When I say make it up, imagine who those people are. Think about where do they live? Think about what are they having for their dinner? (laughs) What do they read? Yeah. How old are they? Are they men? Are they women? Are they young? Are they old? Are they rich? Are they poor? Are they in between? Do they live in the North and the South? And start to build a picture And if you get to somebody in your head at this point who you maybe know is a little bit like this person you've imagined, phone them up. Get your phone out and phone somebody from your family, from your network or a friend and phone them up and give it a go. Now, obviously, it depends how well you know them, but just give it a go anyway. Try and sell them your idea. Ask them if they want their tap fixing, a new front gate. I can't remember the other things that I listed. I made them all up at the top of my head. But anything, the thing that you've got, ask them. Or ask them what their view is and start to talk about and get a picture for the people, the humans that need what you've got. That's where I would start. I love that. I think there's quite a lot there. So let's break that down because I think you started with something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. And This will tie in, I promise. For me, sales is about finding someone with a problem you can fix. And then you sell them that thing, you get paid, their problem's fixed, 
everyone's happy, we repeat, and we have a business. That's the real simple bit. And I think that's where you started with who needs what you're doing, who's got that Mm -hmm. problem, and thinking about those people, and then sort of coming to the, I I guess in marketing speak, it's the targeting, isn't it? It's the, the avatar of who it is we're going for. It's the person, what type of person they are. So like if I was to build this into steps, step one, work out who we need to approach, who we need to find. Step two, like really define them. And step three, you're saying just ring them and speak to them. Yes. So yeah, I, I sort of blurted it all out there all at once, didn't I? That was the whole, there's your whole marketing strategy there, the whole episode in one big long monologue right at the beginning. It's the way we like it. Let's give all the value up front immediately <laughs> and then unpack now. what it is. Yeah. Should we just pack up and I'm go done. home? Yeah. <laughs> Um, right. Okay. So what, what do you so start again there? I lost you there. You want me to go back and step one is thinking about who needs what you've got. Yeah. Are you with me on that one? Who needs what you've got? Yeah. I think step one is like, well, actually maybe before that step one is what's on. the problem you're solving because it's all very well saying okay. who's got the problem. I guess we have to define because it's, it's quite interesting if you're an artist and I've had this challenge many times when we've got artists on the course and they say, well, my art doesn't actually fix a problem. So I can't even do the marketing because I don't know, like, I don't fix a problem. Who do I approach? Where do I go? What do I do? Like, we can't even get down into the who because we haven't even passed the what is the problem. Got you. It's difficult with artists. Yeah. How do you help? Like, how do you find that? Where do you go? I suppose when you're thinking specifically about artists, you know, who's most likely to buy? Who's the person most likely to buy your style, your art or your craft? What's that person like? Because it's hard to think about solving a problem when you're an artist because you are expressing yourself in whichever medium that is. And it's very much from, you know, it's an internal thing. It's from, you know, it's a completely different thing, I suppose. But who is most likely to buy rather than a problem solving thing? Do you agree with that one? It's a hard one about an artist. So I think... What I've realized about artists is the medium it's transferred in quite often. So Mm -hmm. on the coaching series, for season two of the coaching series, we have Jamie, who is an artist, and the bit we got to, she had all sorts of various types of art that she did. And the eventual bit we got to was let's package it as a comic book and sell the comic book. And then the thing you're fixing is boredom. People need entertainment. They need new content. They're bored. They want that. And that's a very easy then to define, well, who would buy a comic book and go out and find those people. A second example would be, I remember for your first anniversary, you know, anniversaries have the like the first one's paper, the second one's whatever, then there's a wood one and a leather one and all that stuff. The first anniversary is paper. So I was Mm -hmm. sat there thinking, what am I going to get Katie for her anniversary? I need something that's paper. And... I know she loves jigsaws, so I looked up online and I found a company that would custom print a jigsaw. Like It's broadly paper, like it's thick paper, it's cardboard, but I would get away with that. So I thought about this jigsaw, and then I thought, what do I put on it? I was like, well, why don't I hire an artist to put an image of the two of us on it? And I eventually came up with the idea that we'd have a panel of this comic for each year we've been together. I put it on the jigsaw and that would be the first anniversary present. 
and I hired the artist. I got it printed on the thing. I sent him a picture of what I did. Katie loved it. Like it's fr- it was until we got rid of our house. It was framed on the wall in our lounge. I remember. Yeah, yeah. it's lovely. And the interesting bit, the artist then had the idea of, oh, look, here's what Alan has done. The problem I'm now fixing is what do people give for their first anniversary? And that is a, believe me, as a man, that is a perennial problem. I'm sure it is as a woman as well, but you're like, what do I give that's paper? I can give a card, but I want to give something a little bit more meaningful. Then you can find people who are newly married. You can go and start promoting. You can find blogs about what you give for anniversary presents. You can put your product out there in a different way. And suddenly, I think it's having that, here's the end product that someone can buy. Like what actually is the thing? How is it printed? How is it produced? And I think that then gives you the idea of the problem you're fixing, whatever it is, whether it's a a problem of how do I make my partner feel special on their first anniversary or how do I entertain someone? I feel like it's that. Like, how is this art applied in real life? For me, makes it easier to find someone to buy it. I think that's a really good point. I love your story about the, uh, I remember the, uh, the picture in your, in your flat. It reminds me of a participant we had at Rebel Business School in Kent. And she was a landscape artist and she painted landscapes in Kent. And I remember her saying to me, and who would want these? Who would want them? I mean, she said, <laughs> I love them. You know, I've, I, but who would want them? My family and friends buy them because they want to help me. She said, but who else would? So we sat down and I was like, who would want a landscape of Kent? I was like, well, people that love Kent, people that maybe don't live here anymore, but used to live here. So we sort of imagine people who have a real connection to the area and they can take a little bit of Kent with them. So that opened up this idea of who could want her art at that point. So I suppose it's, I like the idea of the medium and also what it actually is of. Does that make sense? So this was Kent. Is it animals? Is it an area? Do you produce pictures or music about something, a particular niche or a particular subject that you could maybe focus on and find the people who want that? Um, Go and hunt them out and find those people who are looking for something that reminds them of a place. Um, So I think there's a lot to be said in the, the medium and also what the actual art is or the craft is. I love that because all of these ideas are leading back to who, which I think is the fundamental point of marketing is who are you going for? And this is the thing that every entrepreneur I've coached has fought against, me included when I was launching my businesses, of niche marketing, deciding on a who. What do you mean I have to decide on a group? What do you mean I have to decide who I'm marketing to? For you, niche or if you're American, niche marketing Like, what's the point of it, Casey? Like, why should I bother? How does it help me? Surely it just closes off a bunch of market that I want to sell to. Why are you forcing me to target? (laughs) It's counterintuitive, isn't it, niche marketing? The idea that you're going to focus all your efforts to a small number of people, a particular type of person that has a need, rather than trying to sell to lots of people. Because there's, there's a bit of me that thinks, well, if I try to sell to more people and I tell more people about what I do, there's more chance that I can sell to them. And actually, it's the complete opposite. It's the total opposite. You try to sell to everybody and you're unlikely to sell to many. The great thing about a niche is that 
it narrows down. So actually it's a smart thing to do because you, there's, when I say less effort, there's less wastage of effort as well. Because when you find your niche, you can talk directly to them and it allows your message, the message around your product or service will resonate with those people. And then you can really tailor your message as well because you'll start to understand them more as you spend more time with them. And also being a specialist. I mean, I love the idea of being a specialist rather than a generalist. The analogy I use is when you go to the the doctors, you know, you go and see a general doctor, a GP, we call them over here, um, who knows a bit about everything. And I always think, and nothing about anything, but a bit about everything. (laughs) But if you've got a problem with your knee and you go and see your GP, and you'll have a quick look or she'll have a quick look and you'll, you know, you'll do a few, do a few squats and they'll sort of go, mm, right, okay. They'll refer you to somebody who understands mm-hmm. these because they're kind of complex because they don't really know you've presented with a problem. So they, and then when you go and see somebody who's a knee specialist, oh, that's amazing because that's all they think about is knees all day long. They're obsessed. <laughs> they're obsessed with knees <laughs> and they know all the details. So I'll rate their opinion much more than the generalist, the GP. He was kind of giving me an overview. He knows a bit about everything. And once you do that, I mean, there's all sorts of conversations about pricing you can have as well. But once again, I've jumped a million miles an hour there over into pricing and to, into more than niching. But the great thing about being a niche as well, um, years ago, I had, a, I had an event company and we stumbled into a niche through no great idea of what we were doing. We stumbled into one because we started an event company without realizing, you know, how we were were really starting an event company, went face painting one day and we started an event company. But we noticed as we were trying to sell our event services that shopping centers were our first clients because we had a contact who worked at a shopping center and he took us on. And then another shopping center in the same group was impressed and they took us on. And we, we noticed that what we were saying fitted and our services fitted with shopping centers. So we just carried on trying to sell. So In the end, as we grew that business, there were only 350 people in the whole of the UK out of the 66 million of us, just 350 people that we needed to market to. That's it. Because they were the only people who controlled the budgets for shopping center events. And I had their name, email address, and phone number of every single one of them and phoned them. I was about to say harassed them, but that wouldn't be the right (laughs) message, would it? As I did. Phoned them, connected with them. I phoned them, them. yes, connected with them. Spoke to them. Yeah. Deep relationship. relationship. That was it, yeah. I harassed them a bit. (laughs) And uh, so there's only 350 people in the whole of the 66 million that I needed to focus all my time on as a marketeer. Well, that makes it a lot cheaper to reach them as opposed to trying to reach 66 million people and having to do TV adverts or radio adverts or like, that's really tough. Exactly. And then during that time, we we became like the experts in our niche, in our sector, because we were the only one doing it. I'd like to say we sat down and, and strategized this, but we didn't. We just stumbled upon it, but we noticed. And I think especially in early stage business, when you notice, you know, when you're having conversations with people and trying to find if you really listen to them and really start to notice who's interested now, why are they interested? What bits were they interested in when you were talking about your products or service? So I think it's a superpower, niching or niching. It is a superpower. It is definitely a superpower. And I just, I want to pick up on stumbling into a niche because I think actually Mm -hmm. I did this with originally pop-up business school that's now Rebel Business School. We stumbled into a niche and I'd like to turn stumbling into a niche into something practical that people can do. And 
how I stumbled into a niche was I was doing presentation skills courses for housing associations. And I had this idea with Simon of the pop-up business school. And we went to the housing association and said, do your residents need this? What do you think? And he said, yes, we do need it. We had a great chat. Then I went out to other housing associations. And then suddenly housing associations were our market and we were famous within Mm. that market. But I kind of like you stumbled into it, but I'd like to take the, like it, it was by chance, but it also wasn't because I was out there pitching. And I think the takeaway for everyone listening to this is choose three or four people, three or four markets, people that you think has the problem you can fix that you think might buy and go and pitch to them as quickly as possible. Just like Casey said, pick up the phone, get in front of them, meet them for a coffee, um, wear a mask if you do, who knows, but get out there and see them and pitch to them. And then you will have this moment where one of them goes, that sounds good. And then you've stumbled into a niche and you go and find more of that type of client. And I think actually like stumbling into a niche does it a disservice because you were out there pitching, you made stuff happen. And there is an element of throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks at the start because you just don't know. And last comment for me before I ask you a question, Casey, is so many times people say to me, yeah, but Alan, I don't know if they'll buy. And I go, well, neither do I. Should we ask? (laughs) And (laughs) there's only one way to know if a niche market is your niche market, and that's to ask them. So how would you, if you were to do like set up an experiment, set up a, a way of doing this, how would you make stumbling into a niche market more systematic that people could follow it, Casey? What would your steps be? How would you approach it? Well, recently we've started something uh, which started as a hobby over lockdown. We started to buy more plants for our home during lockdown and we realised we couldn't find any plant pots that we liked. I mean, we had a lot of time. It was lockdown. <laughs> And um, it was, you know, 2020 was uh, a lot of dog walking. I don't know about you, but it was one long dog walk for me. So we were buying the plants because only, only the plant stores were open. B&Q in the UK was all that was open. So we kept going to B&Q and buying lots of plants and didn't like the plant pots. So we started to buy the plain plant pots and decorate them. And Lynn's, my, my wife, is uh, quite artistic, much more than me. So we started to, to produce these plant pots. We put them around our home and then we just started to ask people if they wanted to buy them because we put them on Facebook just to our family and friends. And we sold them quite a few just to the people that we knew. So the first thing that we did was just to ask people we knew straight away because they're the first ones in our network. First of all, our neighbors, it was uh, people from school, people in our neighborhood, our relations, our friends, anybody. And then to ask their friends as well. Do you like these? There's a picture of them. Do you like them? They're quite unusual. And some people were like trying to be kind of uh, polite and go, oh, well, you know, it's not quite my thing. Um, oh, I'll ask, you know, and it was clear that they thought they were horrendous. Uh, and then some people, um, a couple of people in, the ne- in our network and in our neighbours, and people we didn't know that well as well, asked to buy. And then we found that neighbours of neighbours that we didn't know, and we got a few strangers buying. And we started to ask them why, and also to notice the type of people that they were. So we kind of stereotyped them a little bit. We noticed it was people who were very much into their homes. So they were the type of people who were on Instagram looking at uh, other people's homes. They liked home interior magazines and followed home interior people. So they were very much 
you know, a little bit of a show home in their house. And we just noticed just a few people and we thought, well, there you go. That could be our niche. So we went onto social media then and started to find those people and have conversations with them and noticed who they were following and followed them. And we built, built up a small following. Then we went to the local homeware stores and had conversations with them. And a couple of them were stock our pots now. And this was just from our hobby. And even though it's, um, the shops have just opened and a couple of the shops in our neighborhood have got our pots in them. So we're very excited. No, nobody bought them today. But we, we've realized that we've niched it to people who are particularly into their homes. And we've done that by having as many conversations, asking people to buy, asking our friends and people to buy, to ask other people if they're interested in, and then noticing the types of people. So not everybody, we haven't sold hundreds, you know, I'd say we've sold maybe, maybe 20 to 30. And, and so that's all. And we've noticed in there, there's a certain type of person. They're normally in their thirties without children for the obvious reasons that, you know, when you have young children, your house is kind of, yeah, you just kind of have to get on with it. And what your plant pot looks like doesn't really matter sometimes, really. It doesn't really matter. You haven't got time. (laughs) So they tend to be people in their 30s without children and who are very into, uh, usually in a creative industry. And we're like, hang on a second, we can really niche this now. So we've removed millions of people We've given them, we're starting to call them Hannah. We're making up names for them, Hannah and Adam. You know, we've made up these names now where we're imagining what, would Hannah and Adam go to this market? Oh, well, maybe they would. What would they do on a Saturday? Well, they haven't got, they might have a dog. They'd probably have a, a French bulldog, wouldn't they? So we, we, we kind of stereotyped Hannah and Adam to these, this couple, this fictitious couple. They don't exist, who are into our parts. And they're an amalgamation of most of the people that have bought one already. And now we've got this idea of who they are. So when we want to go and find Hannah and Adam, we're thinking, where will they be on a Saturday? Where do they go for their homewares? Where do they go to the pub? Where do they have their haircut? You know, where do they go for dinner? Because I bet we could put one of our pots in there, see if the owners will have one. So we, we're trying to think like that. And this is really just a little experiment. And it was just really something to do during lockdown. So that's really how we've niched this little, little thing that we're doing. And just really, as you said, step one, talk to as many people as possible and notice any similarities between them and see if there is something there that they're asked. Because not everybody will be the same. Some random people want one. And then you can refine them and look where they will be. Where will they be on social media? Where will they be on a Saturday afternoon? Where do they buy the clothes from? That kind of stuff. So that we can get in front of them wherever we can and show them our pots. Say, do you want to buy one? <laughs> I think it's interesting because I think when you're in the early stages of marketing, it's just as important to realize who's not interested. So something you said Mm. about like you've shown your pots to a bunch of people and some of them were just, they were nice, which clearly you're saying they're not for us. No, But it's just as important to realize they were horrified. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? It's not for my house. Thank you awfully is the British way of saying that. But if you notice that, that the certain type of people, maybe it's like X age group, X location, don't want to buy it, stop marketing to them. Like, it, yes, stop. Stop wasting your energy, your time, your effort trying to sell people who don't want it. And I, I'm always shocked. Like entrepreneurs say, well, I think my audience is this. And then they stick at it for so long, even though the audience don't want it. Stop selling to people that don't want things. 
and notice the clues that the universe, the world, the market, the people are giving you. Because if you go out there strong enough, the market will give you clues and it will tell you what to do. Absolutely. And trying to convince people, convince people to buy who don't want it. Oh, it's or painful. to convince people they, they have got a need when they haven't got one. You're just wasting your energy and your time. It's going nowhere. By niching and targeting, you are finding the people who do really want one. I mean, when you get into sales, those sales conversations are, are just easier and joyful and easier to have. And they usually, you know, lead to a positive place where trying to bang on to somebody that they need what you've got, it will make that oh, going nowhere. So yeah, absolutely. Which then becomes a pleasure, which I think marketing and sales can quite often feel like a chore. But when yes. you find the right people to sell to, it suddenly feels like a pleasure. It's like, oh, I've put my marketing out. People are responding. They're excited. They want to know more. And we're excited. Absolutely. Yeah, which I guess there's a question, Casey. Mm -hmm. If you were to give advice to someone who doesn't like the idea of marketing and sales, which let's be honest, is most people we speak to, how would you help them to find the joy in marketing and sales? How can you find the pleasure in marketing and sales? Ooh, how do you find it? I suppose it's, it's getting them to the realization as early as possible that having a business is actually about sales and that sales and marketing isn't something that's, that's dirty or wrong or you're not going to intimidate people or push people around to buy anything. That actually what you've got helps people. And if you reposition it as you're actually going to help somebody here. So what you've got can help rather than thinking it's about being pushy. The number of times people say to me, I don't want to be pushy. Yes. You don't, there's no need to be pushy because when you've got the solution for somebody, it's actually, you're, you're, you're helping them. And I suppose we all want to help people on some level. So uh, first of all, I would kind of reframe it or reposition it, as I always would say, as something where you help people. What you've got helps. And also, if you're in a business that you enjoy and you're passionate about, well, then this turns into that you're passionate about helping people. And that's kind of a good place to start. So if you're interested in your pots or in your art or in your service or whatever your business is and you are passionate about it, then when you start to talk about it, that passion comes through. You can't fake that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all sorts of techniques for marketing and techniques for sales, but the technique that I like is the most is passion and energy. Because if you really have got it, people can pick it up, they can feel it, they can sense it. So if you believe in what you're selling, and if this is your business, then of course you believe in it. You're not being told to sell something for somebody else and being paid a salary. This is something that you believe in, you've created yourself. So at that point, you've got your passion, you've got your energy, and that just comes over. You communicate that in everything you do, not just in the words that you say, but your body language, fast you speak, when you speak, how relentless you are in finding the right people. <laughs> it absolutely is the driver for you. And I think that removing all the technicalities about marketing and sales and just loving what you do and wanting to tell people about it, that's the first stage of sales. I mean, you can go deeper into it. And I know we're talking about marketing, not sales with different techniques, but the first stage has to be passion, excitement, and energy when you speak to somebody. And if it's authentic, and it should be for your own business, then, you know, that gives you a massive, massive leap. I love that. And one of the best definitions of sales I've ever heard is sales is the transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another. So if you can get enthusiastic and you can infect 
and I choose my words very carefully there, infect other people with your <laughs> enthusiasm, uh, you will start to get people coming towards you. But if you're not enthusiastic about what you do, that's not going to come out through your flyers, your Facebook videos, your marketing, your sales calls. That's the route. Get enthusiastic. Pick something. And actually, when people come to me and say, which, Alan, which business idea should I do? I quite often go, which one are you most excited about? Because I know if they're excited about, that's going to give them the energy to go out there and get other people excited about them, and they're going to do it. Absolutely. So we've got, what's the problem we're fixing? We've got reframing sales and marketing as helping those people so you're doing good in the world. We've got, who actually is this person and niche marketing, choosing the niche market? We've got a way of stumbling into the niche market by having a go at some different ones to try and find the one that reacts. We've got stop selling to people who don't want what you do, because that's definitely painful. I guess the question now is, if we've kind of looked at who's the niche market and we've got a rough idea, we've done some testing, we go, actually, it is X group of people. Then we're on to sort of the more practical end of marketing, aren't we? What do you do from there? You've got like, so say I've got a rough idea. I'm, I'm a baker. I want to sell in my local area. So I've got a geography. I know I want to reach people who are food health conscious. I think they probably like, they do eat bread because they like high quality bread and they're very health conscious. I'm trying to define an audience for us here. They maybe <laughs> go to fitness classes. Maybe they go to certain coffee places. They're really into coffee with their morning bread or toast or whatever it is. Like I've decided on that market. What do I do now? Okay. So you've imagined who your audience are. You've, you've maybe from you've tested, just as you said. So you need to get in front of them. You need to get your message in front of them wherever you can. And that message needs to stand out. It needs to stand out. You have to get people to look your way. You have to get people to look at your message. You can't do the same thing as everybody else. I really don't think you should. I think you need to kind of put, you know, I say sometimes you need to expose yourself. <laughs> you need to really, I know, not in that <laughs> what way. What type of marketing I wouldn't do are we that. going for here? So yeah, not like that. I think it worked well but for a calendar a sales at one point. <laughs> putting yourself out there is like, <laughs> I know, but the reason I say it is because it stops people. I think, what do you mean expose yourself? But yeah. have that kind of impact. Obviously keep your clothes on. <laughs> is that advice just for me or for the people listening i'm not sure both. please be specific both yeah. both everyone just keep your clothes on <laughs> but when you expose yourself you just <laughs> it's to have that level of impact to get people to look your way that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> um, because there is so many marketing messages there's so many leaflets and facebook posts and tweets and posters and adverts and oh, there's just so much and blogs and pop-ups. There's just so many. So we need to think, where are your customers? Where are they? And how can you get your message in front of them? But you've got to get them to look at it. You've got to get them to read it or hear it or look at you or whatever method you're going to use. You have to pick your methods, first of all, and look at how you can get impact with those methods. So that's the first place I would start to look at those different types of methods. And there's so many ways to reach people. But remember that the only people you are interested in, the only people is your target market. That's the only ones. And I think a lot, and I think I've been guilty of this too with our hot pots business. 
a shameless plug there, hot pots, our plant pot business is that we've looked what other people do. And there, mm. it's quite seductive to see what other people, oh, they they do that. They do really well. Look, they, they do it like, we'll do it like that too. And it's like, okay, so we can learn some things from other businesses, but remember that you need to stand out. You need to stand out. Which I absolutely love the standout message. And I think I had a recent experience, not that recent, maybe five years ago. We were searching for a new accountant for our business. And I went and interviewed, I think, five or six accountants. And we had good chats with them all. Do you know what, Casey? They all said exactly the same. Every single Mm -hmm. one. We help you to understand the numbers of your business better so that you can make better decisions. We're very focused on the numbers and we want to help you grow your business. Every single one said exactly the same thing. So who stood out? None of them. None of them. Until we actually met our current accountant. Her name's Emma. She really stood out and we bought her. But I think one of the things you can do is go to your competition, look at what they do and go, how could we be the opposite? How can we be different? Mm -hmm. How can we stand out? I think that's far better. That will generate original thought rather than just copying along. I agree. I agree. Doing the opposite is is a lovely thing. But to stand out, you know, you just told that story about your account and it just makes me immediately, it just brought a thought into my head, which is I used to use an IT company for our old company. And I again got them all to come in and pitch and they all said the same thing. They all go, oh, I'm bored. I mean, I don't understand IT. Bored I was with it, the same stuff. And then there was one company that came in and on his way from the front door to my office in the in the business, he got on his hands and knees and he looked under the tables, <laughs> bear with me, of where the staff were working at all the cabling, yeah? And he, that's the first thing he did. Rather than, you know, do the usual stuff with, oh, we've been going for 10 years and there's 10 of us and we've got offices in Salford Keys and then, you know, with any of that, he just got, he just got on his hands and knees and looked under and he went, that cabling box there, love, I think you need to have a look at that one. You see, I, would, I wouldn't expect that. And um, there's lots we can do here. We could tidy this up. I'm sure we could make it quicker for you if that's what you're after. He had a real Northern accent like that. So he, had a, he was a real character and he was nothing like any of the IT people. I had no idea if he knew his stuff better, but he's the one who got the job. He's the one who became our IT supplier because he was, well, first of all, he was just different and he seemed to care and he was practical. Mm. Um, so the idea of standing out you know, there's so many examples of companies when they start getting their first customers by standing out. There's a quite a famous agency called Social Chain, and they are a social media agency. And they're very cool, and they've got offices in New York and blah, blah, blah. But the guy who started it many years ago, I remember hearing him speak, and somebody said to him, how did you get your f-? – he was only 19 mm-hmm. when he started. Wow. How did you get your first 19 um, customers? And he said, you know, imagining that they were going to say they're going to launch some amazing social media campaign. And he said, I sent gold envelopes to everybody I wanted to work with, with a letter in. Ooh, I like gold envelopes. Oh, yeah. So this is a really cool young guy, 19 years old, started this amazing business about social media, doing social campaigns. You know, he works with Boohoo and all the big kind of fashion brands. And he sent them a gold envelope with a letter in. That's how he got their attention. Which is very That's how old he got school. his message. It is. Considering it's it is. Mar- he's doing social media marketing and he got off social exactly. media to get the clients. Exactly. So that would be really unexpected because what he needed was his target market to look at his message. Mm. And um, rather than 
do a social media campaign. And I'm not saying social media campaigns don't work. Of course they do. But he just did something old school and sent them something through the post. You know, remember the post, Alan? I do remember I the I'm post. I used to, I get very enough. excited when I get things through the post. I get very excited. It doesn't happen very often. Now I'm nomadic and no one knows where I live. Maybe I should announce where I live every now and again so people can send me things. And like a little letter or a postcard would be lovely. Anyway, like we've gone completely off topic. It's about standing yeah, out and getting attention. And what I love about that is he did the opposite of what probably all the other social media marketing companies were doing, which is going on social media to find people to market to, he went old school and offline. And I think the question Mm -hmm. I'd love to ask everyone listening to this is, what can you do to stand out and get your target market's attention for a few seconds so they read your message, your Facebook post, your whatever it is, whatever medium you're going for, what can you do to stand out and get their attention for a few seconds so that they read what you do? Mm. I guess that's the first step, isn't it? It's got to be. I find that when I say people, I mean, that's very general, isn't it? And I, I include myself in here. We don't want to stand out. We kind of want to rub along with people and just kind of do what other people do and not stand out too much. Yet it's so important to almost do the opposite of what other people are doing. I always do this when I travel in uh, UK in the train stations. We always we tend to have a big rack of leaflets. I don't know if you know mm. what I mean, Alan, where the local attractions all are. They're all usually formatted in the same way. And there'll be there'll, sometimes there's 60, maybe 100 of these leaflets, and they're all in one of these uh, leaflet stands. And I'll stand in front of it, and I'll just see where my eye goes. Mm. And it always goes to the leaflet that's, usually a completely different shape to the others, uh, a different color, a standout color. And 99% of them follow a format where they've got the headline, the pictures, some copy, uh, you know, and a phone number. They just all look the same. They're all boring. Just do this next time you see lots of leaflets, just see naturally where your eye goes. And it will usually go to the one that looks different, the one that stands out. And that's kind of what you have to do wherever possible with your marketing is be different and stand out. Well, I think this is where it gets really interesting because how to stand out is different for every industry. So if you're in an industry where everyone uses yellow and red and bright colors, well, use black. If you're in an industry where everyone is using black as the color, then use bright colors. And I think this is where it becomes very difficult to give advice that will help everyone with their marketing because what actually constitutes standing out is different for every single industry and that's where it becomes difficult so the question like you've got to come up with this yourself stop stop looking at what everyone else does or actually look at what everyone else does and imagine what the opposite is think for yourself and work out how to stand out and that's the challenge for every one of you listening right now what's the opposite of what everyone else is doing out there and how could you do that and get people's attention and get them to look at your product or service long enough to understand what you do and how it can help you. Because without this impact, people won't read your message or hear about you. So it doesn't matter how good your message is or how fantastic your service and how we really can help people. If people don't read it or hear about it, it's like whispering it. You know? You've got to stand up, raise your voice, be heard, be different so that you can get people to look your way. Because if they're not looking your way or they're not paying you attention, they're not, they can't hear what you're saying. And if you can't hear what you're saying, it doesn't matter how good your story is or how good your message is. If no one can hear it, people aren't going to buy. 
I think this was this was my biggest mistakes. One, well, actually, I probably say that regularly. It's one of my biggest mistakes. I made so many, Casey. <laughs> one of my biggest mistakes when I started was I was doing good by stealth. So we'd run these courses. I'd help all these people, but I'd never tell anyone I'd done good. I'd never market myself. I'd never shout about myself. I was the stereotypical British humble, like, oh, yes, I'm just doing what I do. Uh, and <laughs> I think that does not help in marketing. And someone said to me, Alan, you've got to blow your own trumpet. And after mm. my sniggering had subsided, I decided actually he was right. I needed to get out there and shout to the world, I'm doing good. Look, we're running these courses. We're helping people build businesses. We're changing this. We're helping this. We're doing it. Look, we can help your residents and shout to the world. No one's going to blow your trumpet for you. You've got to mm. blow your own trumpet and get your own marketing message out there. And if you don't... It was like Casey said, you're just humbly going about, oh, yes, I do a good job. Well done. <laughs> no one's going to notice you. No, they're not. They're not. Then you have to get comfortable with being noticed. This oh, is yes. an interesting one because uh, I never was. I was quite happy being in the shadows. Uh, Me too. People will be listening to this going, what are you talking about, Alan? Like you're on a podcast to thousands of people. You're doing this and this. What do you mean you're happy being in the shadows? I was quite happy being there just doing stuff was quite happy. I didn't need that. But I've realized over the years, if you don't do the promotion, the marketing, no one will ever hear about you. So Casey, time has flown. Mm. If you were to give people sort of a an overview of where to start with marketing, so just to sort of summarize what we've been through, what's the practical steps that people listening to this podcast can take to market their business, to grow more sales, and to get their product or service out to the world? What's the practical steps? Uh, well, the first thing, and you nailed it, is that people need to understand the problem they're solving. Simple as that. Simple and can be quite complicated as well. But So first <laughs> of all, try and get to that. And if you're not sure, by the way, people get stuck on these things. And again, I'm not sure. And then don't take any action because they're kind of stuck. Mm. Just do it anyway. Just have a go anyway. Just think... Maybe it's this. I'll try this. And if you're not sure who your target audience is, because the next, the step two would be, uh, well, who's most likely to need this, pro who's got this problem at the moment. But if you're not sure they have, again, I, I meet so many people who go, well, I don't, I'm not sure it would be them. I, I don't really know who, ask them anyway. You'll never ask know. Ask them anyway. Just see. Exactly. You'll never know unless you ask. So even if you're not sure of your problem, don't let that stop you. Even if you're not sure who your customers are, don't let that stop you. Just have a go, run at this thing, speak to people, ask as many people as you can and notice and listen, listening to people, not waiting until it's your turn to talk. That's a different thing. I used to do that a lot, <laughs> but actually listening to people and looking for clues and asking questions and noticing. And the more people you speak to, you can notice where there's trends, where there's types of customers who are interested, where your message resonates. Adding into that, I would actually just say, you will never be sure until you take action. Like, you can't be sure. Like, how can you be sure sitting at home? How can I be 100% certain that's my target market? Like, you will be unsure. The only way mm -hmm. to be sure is to have done it. Then we can say with certainty. So actually, being unsure is a sign that you need to take action to become sure. It's not a sign that you shouldn't take action. Yes, absolutely. I like that. But some of these things are, if you've not done it before, can be counterintuitive a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not sure of that. So I'm not going to ask because I'm not, I'm not sure. I'll wait until I know who it's going to be. I'm nervous. Yeah. 
yes, I'm nervous, exactly. And you may find that there's some people you ask and you were convinced yourself that they would want what you've got. And when you actually start to speak to them, they've got no interest at all. <laughs> None at all. Yep, so we I've thought, been there. Yeah, I'm going, back, <laughs> I'm going back to our experiment at the moment with our plant pots. We were like, this is for people, first of all, that love plants. We thought, these are plant pots. This must be for people that love plants. So we spoke to a few kind of people who were into their gardens, into indoor, you know, that we knew in our network of people. And they were completely uninterested. Didn't understand what we were talking about. Why would anybody want that in the house? So we were wrong, but we had to have those conversations mm. to work that out because what we'd imagined wasn't the case. So yes, yeah, so trying to work out by noticing and speaking to people and then imagining stereotyping people a little bit to this niche, if you can, or niche. Niche is funny, isn't it? So it's such a strange word, niche. And becoming a specialist so that you have got a message that resonates with a certain type of person. And it saves you so much time. If you're only selling to 350 people in the country rather than 66 million potential customers, it saves you so much time and energy. So that means that you can then target them know where they go, where they have their coffee, where they go to study, where they go to buy their clothes, whatever it is. And then now you've got a, a picture for the people who you still think, because they have not all bought in droves yet. You're still, you know, you're still out there experimenting. You need to get them to look your way. You need to make impact and you need to expose yourself by keeping your clothes on. <laughs> you need to really cause some ripples. You need to get them to turn their heads. Oh, not heard that before. Be amazed. Open their eyes, open their ears and listen to you because you need some impact. You need some impact. If I was starting a business right now, if you're starting a business right now, what would I give you as a challenge to do? Start to imagine who, who your customer is, who's got the problem. Take your phone out. Have a look in your phone book. Is it still called phone book? Yeah, yeah that's it. Your contacts. It yeah, your, thingy, your contacts. Yeah. That's it. That's the modern word, contacts. Have a look in your contacts. <laughs> I'm, I'm in 2021, <laughs> in your not 1997. Yeah. Do you still have a paper yeah. phone book there? <laughs> Stop it. No one's going to know that I'm old. Have you got the Rolodex? Everyone thinks I'm 32. Stop it. <laughs> I've already talked about age before we started today. Have a look in your contacts. This is going nowhere. I'm trying to be serious. And scroll through. You see, scroll. That's a modern word. Scroll through. And the first person that comes up who kind of fits remotely that, that description, you've got phone them. Phone them immediately. Don't even think about it. Don't think about it too much because you may convince yourself not to do it. So don't think about it. Just phone them and ask them. First of all, ask them, would they be interested? Now, you know, you're going to get the usual at that point. Oh, yeah, that sounds nice, depending who it is. But ask them to buy in that conversation. The quicker you ask people to buy, that's when you get the really good information that's when you really, but it can be awkward and not everybody feels as they want to do it. And it can be a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing asking your dog groomer if they want to buy your plant pots. Hello, we've done that. They said no. Um, but, but if you ask them to buy as soon as you can, and that's where all the clues will be, but it can be awkward and it can be embarrassing, but you know, embarrassment, it never killed anyone. I don't think. So that's the thing. Start to speak to as many people as you can and ask them. So go through your contacts. Got it right this time. Scroll through immediately. Anybody in there, old school friends, people you went to college with, people in your network, people in your community, ask them if they would like to buy as soon as you can. Getting your product in front of potential 
people as quickly as you can is the quickest way to get your business started. I love that. So there's the challenge. Get out your contact list, make some phone calls. And if you feel nervous, feel free to blame Casey and I. You make the phone call and then in the end say, well, I had to do this. It was my homework from listening to Casey and Alan on The Rebel Entrepreneur. Feel free to blame us. We'll take the heat. We are big enough. Well, <laughs> I am big enough and ugly enough. Casey's lovely enough to take the blame for that. Just do it because it was within the action. You will never be certain about who your target market is. You will never be certain about whether they will buy or not until you've done it. So that's the only way is to get out there and take action. Whew, what an episode. Casey, I understand you've got a few events coming up for the Rebel Business School. What are you up to at the moment? What are you working on? What are you doing? If people want to come and see you live and see you run the workshop on sales and marketing, which I have loved it whenever I've watched you doing that. Yeah. Tell us more. What are you up to? So yes, I would love it if uh, anybody who's listening today would like to come along to uh, a Rebel Business School event. We are currently running loads on Zoom in 2021. If you have a look at the rebelschool.com forward slash events, you will see all the upcoming events. Um, I'm presenting and they'll be on Zoom. I love Zoom. It's my new favorite medium. And some uh, will be presented by Simon J. Payne, the co-founder of Rebel Business School. So it's uh, usually Simon or myself who's presenting and other members of the team pop in as well. And during the course, I do a day on sales and marketing. So I'd love you to come along and join me. And when you do, you can let me know because there's, there's obviously chat on Zoom, isn't there? So you can let me know that you heard us on the Rebel Entrepreneur. I love that. Thank you, Casey. And as always, the Rebel Business School events are completely free. We find sponsorship. So the sponsors pay for the event and then we give them away to the people who need it the most. So check those out. Have a look. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. We do this, Casey and I do this to help you build businesses, to help you make money doing something you love. And if you go out there and sell, you're fixing problems and making the world a better place. So by doing this, we all have slightly better lives. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of it. I am off to expose myself to the market. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. It's been lovely. See you again soon. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.